Hi and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young Christians who live in Montreal, meeting together to discuss issues of faith in Jesus Christ and following Him in the modern world. The podcast today is from a sermon series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Today we look at the first fruit, the fruit of love. So we talked last week about what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what does that look like and what can we expect to happen if that's a reality for us in our lives. And I came across a quote this week uh, that I think helped me to understand a little bit better. And it was in an N.T. Wright book and it was talking about this passage. And what he said was, he asked the question, where is the power that truly runs your life found? Where is the power that truly runs your life found? And we can have all kinds of competing desires within us at some, sometimes. We can have um, you know, a pull this way and a pull that way. And so there's, there's all these kind of bits and pieces of us that can be at war with each other, but there's always going to be something that rules us. And it's not always the same thing. Uh, we can be quite conflicted in a lot of different ways, but we are ruled uh, by something ultimately. Now, <clears throat> I wanted to try to bring an example of this somehow and like of competing desires. And so there's something that happens quite often in my household, and I know it's not unique, but uh, there's going to be late night snacks that, me, that I engage in. And what will often happen is once all the girls have gone to bed uh, and Debbie and I are alone together, we'll sit down on the couch and we'll begin to watch a show or chat or something like that. And I'll get up and I'll go to the kitchen. And before I go, I'll ask Debbie, do you want something? And she'll almost always say no. But then I'll come back and I'll have a snack for myself. And if I bring, let's say, three cookies with me, it's because I want to eat three cookies. But I will sit down and I will, she will see my cookies and she will do what she always does, which is she'll say, can I have one of those cookies? And then I have a choice. Is the power that rules my life love of self and selfishness or is the power that rules my life love of others, love of my wife? And I'll get to choose whether or not to give her that cookie. Now, you would have thought that I had become smarter over the years and been able to just simply bring an extra cookie knowing that this is the case. And I do sometimes do that. But there are still moments where I have a real battle within me where I'm like, Debbie, if you wanted something, you should have just told me you wanted something, not rob me of my three cookies. But I would like to say that most often I do act out of love of wife and I give her one of my cookies as a great sacrifice, of course. <clears throat> what Paul is talking about in this passage is that the Christians should live a life that's controlled by the Spirit. And he's refuting the claim that, that the Christians should be bound by the Mosaic law, that they should still follow certain uh, purity laws and certain uh, dietary restrictions and circumcision and, and things like this. Paul is saying that the, those laws have no claim on Christians anymore because it's to do with the flesh and that we are not to focus on the flesh anymore, we're to focus on the Spirit. And he says, by living by the Spirit, uh, the gospel produces a freedom, a freedom from two things, the power of the law to govern our lives and the power of, this, of sin and the way that it can control our lives as well. Both of these things bring slavery. But the freedom that we are offered 
is a freedom both from something, from the power of the law, from the power of sin, but it's also a freedom to, a freedom to a type of lifestyle, a lifestyle that is dominated by healthy, beautiful, holy type of attributes. That's what we were made for. That's what we were created to be. And so we are liberated to be the people we are called to be. And the people we are called to be are to be, uh, you know, they're to exhibit these fruit in their life as well. And so the first one we're looking at tonight is love. Now we are given the freedom to love and to love the way that God is calling us to as well. Those who have been freed by the gospel have their life shaped by the gospel. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, the first thing, the first evidence of the Holy Spirit coming into your life is that you have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, technically, theologically speaking, that might be a bit tricky to say, but I can say with some level of certainty that the, the, the faith in God that we exhibit is a, an activity, an awakening that is brought about by the Holy Spirit, that that connection is made and facilitated by Him. And so once the Holy Spirit brings faith about in your life, the, the, what's happening there is the work of Jesus Christ, the work of the gospel has become real to you. And because it's become real to you, you believe it. It's, it's something that is not, no longer just cognitive, but it is experiential. You understand it. It's personal. Now, the first sign of the Holy Spirit's work is this faith, but then what happens after that is that we have a movement from slavery to freedom, from death to life. Our lives change as a result. And that is what we would call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, fruit is evidence that the tree is alive. The fruit does not make it so that the tree is alive. And this is a well-played metaphor. We understand this. When you look at a tree, the way you can tell that it's alive is that it is exhibiting the signs of life. And one of those signs of life is that it has fruit on it. It has lush green leaves and plenty of fruit. That's how you know the tree is alive. In the same way, the, we know that we are alive in Christ because our lives are exhibiting this beautiful fruit, these signs of life. <clears throat> and I think fruit is a great uh, metaphor for what it is that the Holy Spirit does because fruit has this sort of organic, natural type of imagery to it. When you think of fruit, you think of something that just sort of comes naturally to, to it. The, the plant isn't doing anything artificial or trying really hard at something. It's simply doing what it does and these things are a natural result of that. And so the point of exhibiting fruit or how we exhibit fruit as a Christian is not a, a way, not through the way of trying really hard, that we need to work really hard at these fruit coming in. That would be kind of like an artificial type of reproduction where we would be, instead of producing fruit, we would be hanging these fruit on our tree, looking like, like a, with a little hook. We just hang a banana here and hang a pear over there on the, the, the tree of our life. That's not what we're talking about here. There's nothing artificial. There's nothing forced about this fruit. It comes about as a natural extension of the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, if we if you uh, are in a relationship with someone and then you discover 
that they are trying really, really, really hard to show love towards you or to show patience towards you or to show kindness towards you, it changes it a little bit, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you have a different perception of the relationship you have that, that is with this person. You don't uh, think that that's genuine. Like the, their affection for you can't really be genuine if it's that much work. Or perhaps it's just, it, it kind of takes something away from it to know that they're really, really struggling to love you. It doesn't seem right or nice at all. We don't have that type of road ahead of us as Christians. That's not what we're called to, to this real grind to produce this fruit. But then we can't fall into the opposite extreme of saying, well, that means that we just relax and let what happens happen. Just, you know, let your, let, you know, let the Holy Spirit lead you in a very passive way. What we discussed last week is that what these fruit are far more than just an emotional response to things. It takes uh, a response of the mind. It takes a response of the intention, the will. There's a whole self involved in producing these fruits. We must decide to love. We must decide to show patience and kindness. We must also do it, go out and do these things. And it takes, it does take work, but it shouldn't be uh, something that we focus on in terms of saying, I, you know, I really need to focus on loving people or I really need to focus on as, as sort of this, there's, there's no, that, that's the starting point. What we should focus on is what is the Holy Spirit doing in my life? And I'm following after that. And then as a natural extension of that comes these fruit. When we focus on the gospel, when we focus on living out the gospel and, and really answering the question of what is it that God wants me to do as a response to what He has done, we see that the genuine result of the work of Christ as it becomes more real to you, which is the job of the Holy Spirit to, to make the work of Christ real to you, the natural response of that is the appearing of this fruit in our life. So it's interconnected with the gospel in a very real way. The first fruit that's, that's listed in this list of nine is love. And that shouldn't come as any big surprise to us. Love is something that comes up always throughout the Gospels, always throughout the writings of the Apostles. Love has a high, high place in terms of what we should be doing as Christians. Paul has already stated in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that what really counts is not all of these following of the rules or anything like that. What really counts, in his words, is faith expressing itself through love. That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus, in a few of the Gospels, when approached to answer the question, what is the most important commandment? He will answer to love God with all your body, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is by Jesus Christ's own words, the fulfillment of the law, of all the law. Now, this is certainly a neighborly love that's being called out of us here. Uh, it's not love of God, contextually speaking, not, not there's anything obviously wrong or bad about loving God, but contextually speaking, what we're dealing with here is a love of neighbor. And <clears throat> what we uh, are being called to here needs to be defined. 
So that's where the title comes from, and I hope you picked up on my very obvious uh, song reference. What is love? What is love? That's what we're going to discover. I know you guys really want me to say the next line, but I'm not going to give you the pleasure. What is love? You can say it. Love is a genuine, practical care and acceptance of each other. That's my definition, my summary of what love is. Love is a genuine and practical care and acceptance of each other. Love should be strong enough between us that it's going to overcome divisions that we may otherwise put up between us, class divisions, uh, emotional divisions, all kinds of ways that we separate <clears throat> from each other. Love should involve reaching out to those who we find difficult naturally. We see them, we begin to see them the way that God sees them rather than the way that we see them in society. And so we begin to reach out to those who are not very lovable. <clears throat> Love involves helping and supporting those who are in need to see a practical need and to be willing to fill it. It's a get your hands dirty kind of love. It's not simply an emotional response to things, but a, a genuine desire to help and an actual exercising of that desire to go in and to do those things. Love is a verb, as it is said quite often. Love is a doing word. It involves a feeling, a thinking, and a doing. And that's what we are called to as well. And this type of uh, fruit is an, ex is an evidence of the fact that we have passed from death to life as Christians. In 1 John chapter 3, <coughs> verse 14, we see that spoken of as well. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So we know that we pass from death to life because we love each other. That's what is said by John. And it's interesting because John and James will have the, this very similar example that they point to, uh, but one of them will point to it as an example of faith, and the other one will point to it as an example of love. And it's very interesting how these two things appear together. In 1 John chapter 3, 17, we see this, but if anyone has <clears throat> the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how, can, how does God's love abide in him? So what John is saying here is if you, if you have resources and you see a brother or sister in need and you don't do anything to help them, then how can you say that God's love abides in you? And then we see in, in James chapter 2 verse 14 we see James say this what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can this faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the, th the things needed for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead and so we see here, one of them speaking of what it means to love, and the other one speaking of what it means to have genuine faith. <clears throat> but they're the same example being given. If someone has faith, the genuine faith, then they're not going to see someone in need. 
and not do anything about it except give them some pretty words. And if someone has genuine love, they're not going to see someone in need and do nothing about it. And this is not the only time we see this. We see quite a few times in the scripture the idea of having faith and having love are put together. That love is a natural extension of faith, like it says in Galatians 5, 6. <clears throat> we, we have in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, we see that uh, to reinforce this point once again, John will speak about the command that has been given to us. And the command he says, he kind of gives the idea that it's a singular command in the way that he, he frames it. Um, but then he gives two, two outworkings of this command. This is John chapter three, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his command, commandment. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love each other as he has commanded us. Faith, genuine faith and love are put together. That together needs to be our true response to hearing and accepting the gospel. The implication of this closeness, of this, these two things put it in such close proximity, is that if you claim to have faith but don't have love, then you don't have faith. If you don't have the second one, it's unlikely that you have the first one. If you don't have a genuine love for others, particularly those who are your brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you don't have that, then the evidence points to the fact that you don't have a saving faith in God. That's an important understanding to come to. We cannot put this at the periphery of our faith. We cannot say the most important thing is that we have faith and then end the sentence there. We have to see the fullness of what the Bible is calling us to. That there's a way that we can see whether or not we have faith. And the way that we can see that is, is our faith outworking itself in love. Is this fruit of the Holy Spirit coming forth in our life? This is not an arbitrary connection. For a Christian, the call to us is to be Christ-like to be like Christ in what we do and how we live. That is what it means to be a disciple. And I think if you could call anything the most essential attribute of Christ-likeness, it would be love. That is the most essential attribute. Jesus says that the love that we have for each other will make our allegiance to Him clear. That is, by the love you have for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. That's what we are called to exhibit. And then John states later that <clears throat> the love, like by loving each other, we show that God is real, that God exists. He'll explain that no one has ever seen God, but by the way that we love each other, we kind of make manifest God in this world. Christians and churches should be demonstrating the reality of Jesus Christ the reality of God in this world by the way that we love. Our love demonstrates the reality that God exists, the reality that Jesus Christ is who He said He is. We should have an extraordinary kind of love. Now, the flip side of that is a, is a heavy warning to us 
because it means that if we as churches are not exhibiting this love, then we are, in a sense, hiding the reality of God from this world. That we are not doing our part to shine a spotlight on God's existence and to show the world more and more that He is real. If we are not loving, we are making God uh, less visible in this world, and that is a tragic thing. That would probably be the worst, worst outcome of a life that lacks love, is that we, by extension, are not allowing God to, to show Himself in this world. Now, <clears throat> love, a, a deep love that we are called to here, is our way of showing family resemblance. We, we are called to this kind of love because it shows us who we, who, it shows the world who we are. And I know many of you have, have probably been told by different relatives how much you resemble this person or that person in your family. Oh my God, goodness, you sound just like your father. Or oh my goodness, you look just like your mother or you have your you know, father's eyes or your mother's hair or whatever it is. Now, some of these are good things and some of these are bad things. Sometimes we pick up good traits from our parents. Sometimes we pick up bad traits from our families and our parents. But our love needs to be the family resemblance that we show. The love that we show should be such that when people look at us, they can say, oh my goodness, you look just like Jesus. You resemble Jesus. Uh, Cassie Koval says this, we are never more like him, that is Jesus, than when we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. We are never more like Him than when we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. This is our calling, friends. Our calling is to be like Jesus in the way that we love others. This is Easter time, and it's you know, very natural that we get caught up in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It certainly was the pinnacle of His life and ministry. But what I was reminded of this week is that we cannot think just of the end of Jesus Christ's life as the way that He served us. Let's bear in mind that Jesus Christ spent 33 years on this earth. Every minute of it, of it can be considered a service to us. He came into this world and for 33 years He served us. And we are called to serve each other in the same way. Now, we are not going to very often, maybe if ever, be in a position where we have to decide to die for one another. <clears throat> but we do have many, many opportunities to serve each other. And I'm grateful because this week I was reminded of just how much of a servant Jesus Christ was. I was listening to a sermon this week by Timothy Keller, and it was on Mark chapter 7. And in that chapter we see that Jesus Christ heals a man who is deaf and, and mute, or certainly has a, a great speech impediment. And when Jesus takes him aside, and he does these strange things. He, he removes him from the crowd. He points to his ears. He touches his tongue. He looks up to heaven, and he prays. And we know that Jesus, he doesn't need to do any of this. In fact, in the same chapter, just before that, he has healed and he has exercised a, a young woman just by speaking, and she's not even anywhere near him in the vicinity. She, he just speaks and she's healed. 
So why is it that he's doing these things? Why is he touching the man's ears? Why is he touching his tongue? Why is he reaching up to heaven as he prays? And what the preacher went on to explain, he says, the best way that we can understand this is that Jesus was essentially communicating to this man by sign language. He brought this man away to a private place and he wanted the man to understand what he was about to do. And so out of care and compassion for the man, he says, you know, I'm, I'm about to heal your ears. I'm about to, I'm about to heal your, your speech impediment. I'm going to pray now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. And when I heard that, when, when that was explained in the sermon, I honestly, it gripped me so much to realize that Jesus Christ had such a level of care and compassion for the individual. And when we look through the different miraculous stories in the Bible, and some of them have these different things that are happening in them, these, these different things going on, and I've always been confused by it. But I think the best way to understand them now is to think each one of them is a tailor-made experience to care for this person as an individual. What Jesus Christ is doing in that moment is He's doing something that's going to speak to the specific need that that person has. Some people He'll just heal with a word. Some people He'll do something more specific, more intimate, because that is what they need. Even if it means speaking in sign language to someone who's about to heal, so to not to alarm the person as to what's about to happen. I love that. But we need to walk in such footsteps. We need to be people whose love has this nuance to it, this care and this compassion, this intentionality to it. <clears throat> and so I wanted to do something that might be a bit more helpful. I, I, I hate uh, acron uh, what are they called? Um, acronisms? Man, I feel like that's wrong. Acrostics? I think it's acrostics when you have uh, each letter and they, they thank you random voice from the ver from Jess thank you Jess acronyms <laughs> I honestly I couldn't hear your voice like I couldn't recognize your voice when you first said it it really freaked me out <laughs> thank you acronyms so <clears throat> what an, so I came up with an acronym for you that's the end of the story but so to use love uh, I was supposed to type this out. Maybe can someone compassionate person please type out what I'm about to say and leave it in the comments. So the L stands for listen. This is love. I'm going to spell out love. The L stands for listen. And listen not in a sense that we only listen to people when they're in front of us. Well, that's very important that we listen to people when they have to speak to us. But it's broader than that. Listen in the terms of don't shut out what's going on in the world around you. There is a tremendous amount of need and we can be very good at shutting ourselves out to it and just not listening to what's going on in the world. Don't be that person. Open yourself up to need that's around you. Listen to what people need and you won't be able to fulfill all of it, but there will be something you can do. So listen. The O uh, is for others first. So what I mean by this is that we should be caring and compassionate and putting the needs of others above our own. We need to rise above our selfishness. We need to rise above our me-first kind of attitudes to put the needs of others before ours. And uh, there's something that really stuck with me. There was uh, a comedian. I think he's a pretty controversial. I, I don't know his, his full 
uh, story. So forgive me if I'm speaking about a person who's not a good human being, and you know, I, I honestly don't know. But there was a guy. I think his name is Louis C.K. or something like that, and he had a little show. And I never watched the show, but I watched a small little clip of it. And he's talking to his daughter, and he says to his daughter, his daughter's complaining because she didn't get as much food or candy or something as as her sister got. And he says to her, the only reason you should ever look into your neighbor's bowl <clears throat> is to make sure that they have enough. And it was just this brief moment. I don't even remember how I came across the show. I, like I said, I don't, I don't watch it. I've never watched it. I actually don't know much about the man at all. But that stuck with me. The only reason you should ever be looking in your neighbor's bowl is to make sure they have enough. That's an important thing to do as a Christian to be caring and, and to be looking outwardly, to put others' needs above our own, to be looking in their bowls, not so that we can make sure that we have, we have enough, but to make sure that they have enough. That's the type of attitude that we should have. The V stands for value. Now, we all have decisions about how we should spend our day, how we should, how we should plan the future of our life. And we make value decisions all the time. We decide how much of our time we're going to spend doing this or that or what pathway we're going to pursue. We make this in little ways and in big ways. And what we need to do is carve a life in such a way that we are planning to spend a good chunk of our energy towards others. Love like this does not happen accidentally. It must, in some sense, be planned. We must plan to serve. We must plan to reach out. We must plan and, and value it enough that we actually put it into our lives. We must be willing to do this. Uh, otherwise, if we think it's just going to happen by accident, it won't happen the way that it should. We must be intentional about it. So the V is value. And the E is encourage. In the conversations we have, and, and, and in the everyday life we live, be looking for opportunities to encourage someone. We're not always going to be able to do something special for someone. But there we have very many opportunities to speak with kindness, to speak with love, to speak with encouragement towards other people. And our words carry weight. Don't think that if you cannot do something for someone, then you can't help them at all. The way that you are encouraging towards them, the way that you show love through your words, is important. Let's take the reminder of Scripture given to us in James that words, if that's all we have, is disingenuous. When appropriate, we need to follow it up with action. But to be looking intentionally for ways to build up each other and encourage one another, that is biblical. And that's something we should take seriously. <clears throat> and I love the way that the, uh, that's the end of my acron acronism. Oh my gosh, I've forgotten the word again. Anyway, that's, that's the end of it. Uh, I love the way that Paul ends the list of the fruit of the Spirit because he says, against such things there is no law. And as I read that again today, I was reminded, well, we're living in a very strange time. And there's a few things that are now against the law that were not against the law a couple of weeks ago. And yes, it's going to be temporary and these things are going to go away. But... It, it gave me a sort of a moment to chuckle of thinking, oh, <clears throat> is it against the law to love in this season? And of course it isn't. Even in this time where we have to be separated, 
we can still find ways to show love for one another, for love for the world, love for the church. I challenge you to be creative about this. I challenge you to think about ways, especially with Easter coming up, to be truly the church, to love the way that Christ is calling us to love, to reach out to those in need, to think about people who you may not always think about, and to find ways to be praying for them, to be reaching out to them, to in some way serve them with your words at least throughout this time. Now, if you're finding it difficult to love at this moment, what we need to be reminded of ultimately is the grounding of our love. And this is the last thing I'm going to share with you guys. We find a strong and solid path between the love that we are supposed to share preceded by the love that we have been given. It goes from the love that we've been given to the love we're supposed to share. That is the pathway of our love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, John says, Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. From the love of God, it flows out to the love of one another. And if you're having trouble loving others, look to God. Look to God prayerfully and look to Jesus Christ on the cross, most specifically. Look to Him. Be moved and melted once again by His love. I am um, I, I'm a father of two daughters, which means I, I have no chance of getting through life without um, being highly manipulated by them. It already happens. Uh, and the, the saying, like, how can you say no to that face? And something we probably all heard. How can you say no to that face? And oh my gosh, it's an everyday reality for me. When one of my daughters looks up at me and wants something from me and they give me like that look with these big eyes and this cute face and they ask me, Daddy, please. Oh, I, just, I, I can't say no. Like it's too much for me. I can't handle this. And all my defenses come down and all of my, I think my heart is just pierced in that moment. And I'll just give them whatever they want because I'm a big softie. And I guess kind of what a dad is supposed to be, I guess. But I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to be a bit better about it. But that, that, that saying, how can you say no to that face? It doesn't just work on it with cute things. I think it works as Christians when we look at Jesus. When we look at Jesus Christ on the cross, we see a man who is dying to forgive those who are murdering him, who is dying for the sake of his enemies. He's dying for our sake too, and he's calling us, as he did throughout his whole life, to love, to love each other as an extension of the love that he showed us. And so as we look at him, the one that has done so much for us, I ask you the same question. How can you say no to that face? How can you say no to the one who has given us so much? This exceeding level of love. The type of love, as it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, one of my most favorite passages of all time, what manner of love is this, that we might be called children of God? And that is what we are. What kind of love is this that God has given to us? How can you say no? It is a love that disarms us, a love that melts us, a love that is irrefusable when we think about it. And so I encourage you to do that. Think about it. 
pray about it. Let yourself be moved and melted by his love. Why don't we pray right now together? God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought us together and you have taught us about your love and about the love we are called to have. We pray, God, that as we go now into a time of discussion or as we go on with our night, your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us in a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to find out more about CU20 or People's Church, then simply look us up, peoplesmontreal.org. On our website, you'll find information about where and when we meet, past sermons, and information regarding how to contact us if you have any questions or queries. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you.